Welcome to this episode of the Toward Justice Podcast, produced by the Justice Network of the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Eric Logan. In our last episode, we listened to Pastor Benjamin Robinson discussing the multicultural church and racial issues related to that. In today's episode, you'll hear a discussion of Pastor Robinson's talk involving myself, my co-host, Marissa Maddox-Heffernan, and Superintendent and Justice Network board member, Michael Trail. If you haven't listened to Season 3, Episode 1, you may want to catch that first, but this podcast stands on its own. Here we go. So in our previous episode, you actually heard a presentation by Pastor Ben Robinson, who talked about the multicultural church. And it was interesting because as I was listening to that again, I was actually making a soup for the very first time. And it made me think about what is multicultural, especially we think in terms of like, if I were to look at this unicorn of a multicultural church through the eyes of what would food look like? Now, before I go there, let me talk, let me introduce you to our guest today. Actually, Pastor Marissa Maddox-Heffernan is not as a guest anymore because uh, really as co-chair of the Justice Network, she's really been helping us lead these interviews and, and conversations that we've been having. And joining us today is a super Superintendent Dr. Michael Trailer, who's going to talk about the, his views on the multicultural church as well, bouncing off of some of what we heard from Ben Robinson. So this, could, this is going to be a great conversation today. Good morning and welcome, Michael. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. So I was listening to this right after making this chicken soup for the first time. I'd never done it before. We had, we had bought one of those rotisserie cooked chickens and, and eaten a bunch of the meat off of it. And I decided I was going to take the rest of the meat off of it and throw it in a pot, actually, and make soup out of it. And in the process of doing that, you know, I tasted it and it went, no, nah, this isn't quite right. By the time I was done with it, though, I'd added some really spicy food, some spicy max spice to it. And it tasted great, but it reminded me more of a... Asian Thai dish that I'd made rather than chicken soup that I was kind of aiming at. And, and then I was thinking about, well, what does that look like in terms of food? And I thought about our church suppers at, at New Hope, where Pastor Marissa pastors, one of the pastors there and where I, where I attend. You know, we have these great potluck suppers. And you'll get some Jamaican food, and you'll get some African food, and you'll get some Spanish food, and then I might bring some plain old KFC. And you end up with all these different foods at the banquet. It's sort of like everybody has their own thing. And so when I think about the multicultural church, I wonder, is it more like that banquet, or is it more like that soup, that melting pot that really kind of takes on the, the strongest flavor of what you happen to throw into it? Does it even exist in terms of a true multicultural church. What do you think about that? We were chatting a little bit as we were getting started, and I'm really excited to have Reverend Dr. Michael Trailer here with us talking about it because, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of the topic of your doctoral dissertation because you need another degree. Uh, <laughs> so there's that talk between, you know, a multicultural space versus an intercultural space. And so how... If you were looking at those two terms, and then the the example that Eric gave of, you know, is it like the soup or is it like the buffet, where would you go with that? Yeah, so, so what was wonderful about your example, Eric, was the idea that 
sometimes just having different ingredients in the particular bowl that you had didn't necessarily mean that you actually had your desired thing, right? You, sometimes you had stuff that still tastes in or mostly like whatever predominantly spice. So one of the things that I've been thinking and praying about for some time is so often we are seeking to have multicultural or multi-ethnic spaces. And we see this all over, not only in the Free Methodist Church, in which we're part of, but all over the American churches, churches that have multiple cultures or ethnic groups represented in the church, but they're actually not having life together. It's just they're in the same building. Maybe they have a separate worship service. Maybe they have different processes, but they're not doing life together. That idea of having people who are significantly different ethnically, culturally, and socioeconomically doing a life together is what theologians like Curtis DeYoung and Grace Yisun Kim have called the intercultural church, which is people who are of different backgrounds who come together to actually share life and create something new. So the idea, actually, that you put these different things in together and you actually created something new, a different taste, is actually a better example of the intercultural church than it is sometimes what we call multicultural, multi-ethnic in church. So, so actually, Eric, good job. <laughs> so how do we get there? This is the question I ask. How, you know, I called it a unicorn because music is a big thing, right? And so, you know, back in the day, we had the worship wars of what kind of worship we're going to have. And when I hear about churches joining, we had St. Luke's and St. Simon Serene. These aren't free Methodist churches. These are Lutheran churches in Rochester that joined together. And their biggest problem was the worship style between them in terms of how do you make that happen? So what does that look like in terms of a multicultural church? And how do you make that happen when people come from such divergent experiences of worship? This is interesting because there's a lot of different ways to really come at this. Oftentimes, alluding back to what Pastor Robinson was uh, talking about, sometimes we'll have this idea of assimilating people, right? We're going to become united because I'm inviting you who may be culturally or ethnically or socially different to become more like me. And as long as you don't ask us to give up anything of what we consider our identity to be, you can come and join us. When you listen to people like Corey Edwards, she wrote a great book called The Elusive Dream. Uh, she talks about that the degree in which we see multicultural congregations is the degree in which people of color are willing to give up their particular cultural priorities in order to come into that. Because when you usually bring people of color into majority spaces and they're able actually to bring their full selves, their full culture, their full ways of doing things, oftentimes that is not tolerated by the dominant culture and they simply leave. I could give you example after example of mostly white churches who have had a pastor who is a pastor of color who gets the question continuously, is this going to become a black church? Is this going to become a Latin church? Is this church going to become? Because there's this idea of feeling threatened 
because they're not willing to give up that, that identity, that cultural dominance, really in sociological terms, not willing to give up and share power. I wonder, you know, Ben touched on the fact that if you are trying to create a multi or intercultural space, that you have to be willing to endure frustration, that you have to be willing to, to sit in that. And so as you're saying that, I begin to wonder, you know, is it really frustration about it being something different or is it frustration about the loss of power in that space? You know, comfort uh, my, comes with power. <laughs> so, amen. Uh, my good friend and former pastor, Chip Freed, he's a pastor at Garfield Memorial Church on the east side of Cleveland. And he, he leads a larger, uh, I would call it an intercultural church. There's no one ethnic group that has more than 50% of the congregation. And they have a couple campuses and all that goes with uh, all that. He's got this really interesting way of explaining this. He'll say, and he says it almost every week, you're going to love 70% of what goes on here. 30% of, of what goes on here is going to drive you absolutely crazy. He says, the only way that you'll stay here is if you remember that that 30% that is driving you crazy is part of somebody else's 70%. And so in the seasons where there's highly polarized discussions in 2019, 2020, and 2021, he would have people, I'm just going to call on the far right in this church and people on the far left, and, and they're arguing and stuff, but they re realize that having these different viewpoints and different perspectives in the same room, that they were tied together to demonstrate that they were a sign and a symbol of the kingdom of God. And that understanding of their identity promoted a solidarity that you wouldn't get just by homophily, right? Homophily is just that innate period to we want to be with people who are like us. And so Pastor Robertson talked about that intentionality. That intentionality is saying, I'm accepting that discomfort for the point of saying, we're going to come together because us coming together, even though we disagree, even though I don't understand your language, even though I don't understand all these things, is demonstrating to the world we are followers of Jesus and members of the and citizens of the kingdom of God. Yeah, I thought it was important that he named, you know, two of the biggest sources of, I'll say discomfort, not just frustration, but discomfort come in the space of worship, which we talked about, and then in fellowship, because you're not sitting with a bunch of folks that you automatically relate to. So I know we all come from and have experienced kind of a, a new hope space in, in Rochester, New York. And one of the things that we did recently, we've started kind of a second Sunday initiative, we're calling it Action Sunday, where we just, we practice something that we talk about, like that we teach about on every other Sunday, we practice something else. So we just had a Sunday where we sat and had conversation. Like we tried to get folks to sit with people that they hadn't really talked to. We gave some beginner questions that don't immediately alienate someone else. So something that I learned is that for a lot of new Americans or folks who have immigrated to America, that starting off with the question of, so where are you from? 
is immediately alienating. So we we kind of gave some prompts and started with some other questions like how do we practice this fellowship thing in a way that doesn't immediately alienate somebody who doesn't look like us? From an American perspective, that's a, just a normal question <laughs> when you're meeting somebody new. And so to have that learned awareness that, you know what, that's not a welcoming question for everybody, especially the people that you're trying to welcome into your space was meaningful. Do you have any other practical tips or whatnot for how we help to lean into the discomfort? Because I don't think we need to make the discomfort go away. I think we need to work on being more tolerant of sitting in discomfort. So what would you add to that? I'm going to take a step back just for a second, because one of the the things that Pastor Robinson also spoke about was sort of this idea of building a multicultural congregation and sort of being the people who, like you're inviting people into your congregation and, and trying to go, you know, the infamous question was, how do I get Black people to come into to my church. When you look at, at some of the more successful multicultural or intercultural churches, many of them have been more incarnational, meaning that let's say that you have a predominantly white church that is in an area that is multicultural. So there's, in the New Hope experience, we've got Central African immigrants, you've got people of Puerto Rican and Dominican heritage in the, in the area. You've got all kinds of things. One could say, could just put on a show where we just have music of all those different things and invite people in and, and we just sort of sing and be happy together. And that would last that show. And then afterwards, there would be no relationships built and people would be happy that you recognize them, but nothing. Or one could say, where are these communities and what are they already doing? They're already developing community. So how do we invite or come into their community where they're already having community and ask them, let them teach us, how do we minister among you? How do we develop community among you as opposed to doing things all on our terms. And that's that's uncomfortable. I remember when we first got to Rochester, going and visiting some of our families that were from Rwanda or Congolese and making every social mistake possible. Going there, wanting to be sort of in a hurry. Hey, I just, I just want to meet you. Not, not sitting and making contact, not, not talking to the head of the family, you know, making jokes before I even sort of knew them, all things that I would learn later that was offensive. (laughs) But the thing about it is there was enough relationship already there where they were already extending grace just in terms of doing that. They were just, it was sort of the openness to understand, are we actually open to having real conversation, getting to know who they are? There's a lot of different uh, rabbit holes to go down there, but suffice it to say, one of the big ones is being more incarnational in the approach. And as opposed to trying to bring people into your community, how does the community go and engage these already existing communities? Because they're already out there. They don't, you know, we sometimes think we're doing a favor by having them come to us. No, they're doing us a favor by letting us come and learn and grow and develop. Um. 
One other thing, and, and this will be sort of one of Marissa's favorites here, because I've heard her talk about this. I really believe that the answer to developing intercultural churches overall is the goal is to get to beloved community. That has to be a goal that is seen, that is, that is captured, that is put into the vision of what you're trying to do. And one of my favorite definitions of a beloved community comes from Shaniqua Walker Barnes in a book called I Bring the Voices of People. And it is simply beloved community are liberated people coming together and transformed relationships, creating something new for the glory of God. And when we begin to understand that as the goal of that, and we begin to disciple people to understand that this is how the church is supposed to work, I think it gives an alternative way of understanding not only uh, the love of God, but the love of neighbor. So I just would really put that in there. And I don't know what you think about that, Marissa, but a beloved community has got to be in the overall vision of bringing people who are different together. To tolerate the discomfort of trying to create an intercultural space, you have to be so tethered to the why that the discomfort is worth it because the why and when you accomplish the why, there is just so joyous and there is a peace that comes through it. And that why being that fulfillment of what we see in Revelation, the fulfillment of even, let's take it real simple, the greatest commandments, right? That Jesus says, love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. That is at the core of beloved community. And if that's what we say we're following as followers of Christ, then there really shouldn't be a question mark as to why intercultural, multicultural church spaces are important. It's because it's a reflection of that great commandment of the Great Commission. Like it fulfills the central tenet of what makes us Christ followers. I really appreciate the intentionality, Pastor Mike, you and Pastor Marissa have mentioned. You know, as I thought about the verse that we love to use all the time out of Revelation, uh, that section where everyone is giving praise to God, every tongue, every language, every, you know, every people. The problem is that doesn't tell us how, that just gives us a result. And even in that result, they're all focused on God, and which is not a bad thing, right? We're all focused on God. But in contemporary worship these days, quite often we are focused on God and will not look side to side. We forget the horizontal relationship, the, the horizontal nature of our relationship in Christ. And so therefore we're all, yes, we're all standing at the throne, giving our praise to God in, in our languages and in our culture and all of that. But it doesn't talk about how we got to what happened in Acts when the leaders realized that there were Christians that were being denigrated and made second-class citizens, that they put them in charge right, of that so they could help solve the problem. So I love that intentionality because just having the vision of us all at the throne worshiping God is not sufficient enough to create an intercultural, multicultural church. Amen. I thought one of the other statements that Ben made that applies to the conversation, and I think you mentioned The Elusive Dream by Dr. Corey Little Edwards, and I've listened and followed the, that podcast with her, and I think the other pastor's name is Rich Johnson, I think, and they talk a lot about how 
justice has to come before diversity. And yet, in the same spaces where assimilation is required, it's that justice that is kept quiet. You know, I think Ben said towards the end, he kept the peace in his church by staying silent. And then kind of gave some examples about folks who said Black Lives Matter from their pulpit and what happened as a result. And don't say that again. But I also thought it, it was very poignant where he ended and that we have to talk about justice. And the, the reason that we have to talk about justice is because we can't leave if we're truly seeking an intercultural, multicultural church space we cannot leave any one person or people group having to defend that they are not inferior. And I think that's where justice hits at the heart of it, is that justice is what brings us all to equality and equity. It's what brings shalom. We can't stay silent, whether it's, you know, as the people of the majority or people of the minority in any of those spaces, that justice peace has to come first. I love that. Actually, that's one of the sort of prophetic parts of Corey Edwards, that if you have not heard her podcast or read her book, it's fantastic. I want to add to, to what Marissa is saying with a couple of things, particularly based on the conversation that Pastor Robinson had, where his friends had said sort of Black Lives Matter and, and people left the church. Work injustice is costly. It's going to be sacrificial. And the same thing happens when you try to develop an intercultural church. There's some people who don't want to come to a church where there's going to be intercultural aspects, intercultural worship, intercultural fellowship. And that's okay. So one, one of the things that I was thinking as Marissa was talking is, one, we have to control the conversation. So one of the things that happens all the time is I said in one of our churches in Arizona, I talked about Black Lives Matter, what it is. And I got a whole bunch of pushback from people who had a really narrow epistemology. Uh, they only listened to Fox News and they were telling me all the, the crazy conspiracies about what Black Lives Matter and how many police officers they had killed and all that goes with all that. And so I refused to stop saying it because of somebody's misinformation. So part of it is making sure that as we advocate for things that we use the language and we continually clarify what we're talking about so that people don't hijack and co-opt the thing. I'm, I'm so sick of people who don't know what woke means talking about uh, trying to avoid wokeness. It's just a sign of, of, of ignorance. It just, it, it just is. And then secondly, going back to the welcoming thing, if you're trying to make your church a welcoming place for people who are culturally different, they need to understand that what they think is important is something that you also prioritize and honor. So when I go to a church, a church invites me to come there, and I see that they're they're anti-woke, anti-Black Lives Matter, they're, you know, that says they're also probably anti-Black. <laughs> and it's not a place that I feel welcomed in. That is probably not their intention, but we've got to understand that if we don't speak for issues of justice, particularly those that affect those who are most marginalized, those who are in those groups are not gonna feel welcome, gonna wanna be part of your organization. And that's why, Part of that is being incarnational enough to go and find out from them 
what is most important, what's really going on, and how we can minister among them. Yes, and that cannot be wiped away with a simple, oh, but we love you as a person. It's like, no, (laughs) the same as that kind of colorblind theory. It's like, no, I need you to love all of what I bring into this space, and that's how I know that I am welcome. And so, you know, if we're trying to consider that for for others as well it means that we have to let go of the things we 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 as individuals or as a people group hold hold tightly you know all of it we have to be willing to hold in an open hand and be able to share with others what is important in your context like what is important from your perspective and how do we hold them in the same hand pastor robinson really eloquently explains sort of the frustration of having a discussion with people who may be well-intentioned, but really already have, you know, sort of fixed ideas. And one of the conclusions that he came to was that racism is permanent. And I would push back on that. Not that racism is permanent. I would say differently, racism is pervasive, that it is embedded in many of our cultural things, our understanding, the way we learn, the way we do, the way we worship. There's a lot of that. One of the the tenets of the demonized CRT, I hate to even bring it up, but one of the things that's very valid is this idea that in the founding of the country, there was racism present and that shaped the institutions and the church is one of those institutions. Uh, So I I agree with that. But the vision is that in the kingdom of God, that there is this attack or this anti-racism that occurs through discipleship. And this is what we see in the Corinthian church. We see this in Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he specifically says, there are no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Again, he wasn't talking about that there were no people who were male or female in the group or that there wasn't anybody of Jewish heritage or a Gentile in the group. He was saying that in the group, that the sociological power structures, the prejudices, the judgments that come with that are all negated in the kingdom of God. And I would say that our churches need to have that vision that the good news was that we all can come together and that be in a space where it's safe enough, where that racism, again, which is so pervasive in the world, is approached and fought and resisted against within the kingdom of God. In the last couple of minutes we have left, I think it'd be really kind of great to do a lightning round. You know, our church, Free Methodist Church of America, is struggling with how to make this happen. To someone who is listening into this podcast today, who really wants to do the right thing, what's your last words to them? Pastor Marissa? Listen. Listen to stories. Listen to the voices of people who are have been pushed to the edges and center those stories. Be willing to listen with a compassionate heart. Pastor Mike? I think it it sort of starts on the local church level and each pastor just asking you, if you look out in a five mile radius of your church, who's not at the table? 
And then, you know, think about how you can be intentional in going to those groups, uh, not asking them to come to you, you go to those groups. And then I want to just mention very, very quickly, there's a resource made by Michelle Sanchez. She's the director of discipleship of the Evangelical Covenant Church called A Color Courageous Christianity. And it's really about discipling with the understanding of different approaches to multicultural issue. Great resource. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. If you have a similar experience you would like to share, we would love to hear from you. Just click the tab on our podcast and leave us a voice message. What do you think about the progress of the church toward being inclusive, not just assimilating? What can you do to help? We hope this episode has inspired you in your journey toward justice. As always, we hope you'll share this episode with those who would benefit from it. We look forward to sharing more with you in the coming weeks. Until then, may God encourage you on your journey toward justice.